0: Welcome to Saltier Politics and our best ofs edition. We're looking back on our interview with Bloomberg reporter David Kachinevsky and how money and foreign policy are so inextricably entwined. He sums it up in a way that never gets old and can only help our understanding of what's happening today. We hope you enjoy and we'll be back with some original content
1: soon. Um, Welcome, David Kaczonevsky, Bloomberg reporter, former New York Times reporter, two Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. You have been covering um, the money trail between the Trump family, the Trump organization, the White House, and the Kushners for quite a while. And um, as we're recording this today, Charlie Kushner, Charles Kushner, the father of Jared Kushner, has an op-ed in the Washington Post that I suspect is a response to Uh, the story, or excuse me, the book that's coming out uh, on his family, on Ivanka and on Jared, where he defends Jared's sacrifice for the country and has basically said that Jared no longer makes money um, or has anything to do with the Kushner companies uh, and talks about the purchase of 666 Fifth Avenue, which if you are in the New York area, you know, is a monstrosity of a building on Sixth Avenue Um, that the Kushners bought at the height of the market, or Jared bought at the height of the market when his father was in prison, um, which we'll get into in a second, and then really had trouble financing, was finally bailed out by a company that is owned by the Qatar government. Can you give us a little bit more color on that?
2: Sure, Um, You know, to to understand the questions here, you have to look at how the Trump administration and Jared Kushner are different than any other previous administration. Um, Usually when someone goes into the White House, They have to take their personal business holdings and either sell them or put them in a blind trust so someone is taking care of them but the person who is in uh, office does not know what's going on and that way there's a reasonable expectation that their their actions they take in office won't be uh, muddied, they won't have an ulterior agenda um to help their private wealth the trump administration has uh relaxed those rules um ethicists have said that they you know they are not adhering to any of the rules that have gone on for for you know most of the country's history you know for example back in the day when jimmy carter was president he had to sell his peanut farm because people said well he could have an agriculture bill that helps peanut farms we don't want to have that conflict of interest President Trump has not done that um, and Jared Kushner has not done that. They they say that he has recused himself uh, by, you know, not being the head of the company. And they say that he is no longer owns the assets. But a lot of them he just transferred to his family members. And if you think about that, ethicists say it doesn't really mean much because if you want to uh, win favor with someone, you, you know, the best way other than getting them rich is to make their family members rich. So Um, you know that is basically a distinction without a difference when they say that he has separated himself Um, so that becomes a big issue because Jared Kushner has gigantic responsibilities in the White House he is supposedly helping negotiate Middle East peace he's meeting with the leaders of Saudi Arabia and uh, Qatar and Israel he travels around the world doing business deals talking about trade deals and every one of those Um, either has an effect on a company could have an effect on a company that he owns or deals with countries and investors who they are trying to get to invest in their real estate
1: well here's what's interesting to me um, that he seems very close to Mohammed bin Salman who is the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia who himself has gotten into quite a bit of trouble because of uh, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi the Washington Post columnist and has become almost a pariah among certain Republicans and Democrats in Congress. Uh, but yet, it seems to me that, that Jared Kushner is protecting them. As you know, Saudi Arabia is currently involved in a, in a not such a proxy, is not even the right word, essentially in a war um, with Qatar on the other side of Qatar and Yemen. And lo and behold, uh, the Qatar government, through one of its subsidiaries, seems to have bailed out this, this boondoggle of 666 Fifth Avenue Suddenly the attitude towards cutter was not what it was before by the administration. Is that fair to say?
2: Yes, um, you know, 666 Fifth avenue is, you know, this iconic building in the kushner story. It was their first entry into manhattan Uh, you know, they his jared's father charlie kushner got involved in a, a political scandal did time in prison in new jersey um and When he got out of prison jared had been running the company and they wanted to kind of say Goodbye, New Jersey. They were angry at Chris Christie, the prosecutor who who put him away and who was then governor. So they wanted to like say, the hell with you, New Jersey. Um, We're going to New York, we're going to the big time. Um, And so they bought in 2007, this building 666 Fifth Avenue. Now that was the height of the market when prices were as high as, you know, as high as they'd ever been. Um, And it was right before the crash. And, you know, buy high and sell low uh is not what you're supposed to do you are supposed to buy low and sell high so jared bought this building uh, you know and charlie we got out they announced it when charlie got out of prison um it was the they paid more than any other building in the history of new york city 1.8 billion dollars and they had to take out a huge amount of debt um and within a year the stock or the real estate market crashed and so all of a sudden, here's this building with a huge mortgage on it, several mortgages, because in complicated real estate deals, you have one mortgage and then there's something called mezzanine debt. And so you're paying a lot of bit, you're you're paying a lot of interest, you're paying a lot of service fees, and all of a sudden the market crashes, um, and they have this big boondoggle on their on their hands, and it threatens eventually threatens to bring down the whole company. Um, so this goes on; they sell pieces of it, they refinance it. But by the time Jared gets into the White House, things are really desperate. Um, the underlying mortgage that they had was due in February 2018. It was more than a billion dollars, 1.2 billion dollar mortgage they had to pay, and they didn't have the cash for it. So in 2015, they travel the world. This is before you know the Trump presidential campaign. They traveled the world um, trying to get investors. Uh, first, they went in the U.S. They they put on a book trying to get people to invest in it. Um, People who looked at it said there's something interesting about this book There's these like great pictures about they're gonna knock down the old building put up a new building It looks like something from Emerald City, but there's no numbers in it Um, And so people say how can you expect us to invest? when We don't know what the financials are they got to take it back now They put numbers in people look at the numbers and they say oh That's why you didn't put the numbers in because they don't make any sense There's no way you'll get rents that high in Manhattan this building you're asking us to invest in something that is not gonna make us money um, so by 2015, the Kushners are trying to go overseas to get money. They go to some of the richest people in the world, the head of uh, LMVH, the richest man in France. They go to Saudi Arabia trying to get this company, um, an investor who runs a, a real estate company that does shopping malls. Uh, they go to the Korea, South Korean um, Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is a fund that is uh, of the government's money that is invested in private projects. No one wants to take their meetings until Jared enters uh, Donald Trump's campaign. Um, by late 15, um, when Trump is starting to lead in the polls, all of a sudden people will at least take their meetings. They're not going to invest necessarily, but they're taking their meetings. And this is what has continued, um, you know, after Trump's election.
0: What is a simple way, because this is so important, but what is a simple way to explain, you know, to my friends who are like, he's just trying to take care of his family what is a way just to, I guess, the magnitude of what this means?
2: You know, from the very beginning of the United States, uh, the, the founding fathers uh, wanted to set a government where you didn't have kings and princes taking care of their family. And so they tried to set uh, regulations that would keep people in office, um, from acting at, on their own interests instead of the public interest. And so there's been a long tradition in this country that you set your family business aside and try to look out for the best interests of the country. Wow. And I think that's the questions of conflict of interest that the Kushners and the Trump administration have been in the middle of.
1: This is what Charles Kushner, Jared Kushner's father, who was uh, a famously private man, and as you mentioned, he is, is private for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is he had gone to prison about a decade and a half ago. Uh, for a variety of reasons, one of which was that he had solicited a prostitute to sleep with his brother-in-law and send the videotape to his sister as part of a massive family feud. But this is what Charlie Kushner wrote in The Washington Post today. He said, first, 666 Fifth Avenue was not a big financial loser. Even before we recouped most of the initial investment, the property represented a small portion of the company's overall holdings. The Kushner company's health was fine. is that accurate? Because my understanding is that they were so desperate for cash that they were trying to develop properties across the river in New Jersey, New Jersey City and other locations uh, because that 666 had become such a financial boondoggle that they had no choice but to, to scratch around anywhere they could for cash and for investment.
2: You, you know, Vanity Fair Magazine has called it, uh, 66, 666 possibly the worst real estate deal in the history of Manhattan. Um, you know, there were, in 2011 they were uh building was losing so much money they couldn't pay the um they couldn't pay the mortgage they had to bring in a special servicer which is like someone who you bring in when people can't pay their big commercial mortgage um so the the building was teetering and it would have you know had huge ramifications for the entire company they got a refinance then um by 2015 and 2016 again uh, there's another mortgage due now, and you know it threatened to take the country or the company down. Um, if you look at uh, what happened once Trump was elected, uh, in the transition period, Jared Kushner started reaching out to all kinds of people who he uh, who he would deal with later on once he was in the White House, trying to get them to invest. And they were so desperate they went to one company called Angbang. Uh, it's a Chinese investment company, but it is so closely linked to the Chinese government. That the U.S. considers it almost a part of the of the Chinese government. Like President Obama was not allowed to stay in a hotel that they own because they thought, you know, it would leave the potential of spies owning it, of spies listening into it, and they're not allowed to invest near in U.S. military bases. Well, Jared goes during the transition, meets with uh, the head of Angbang, um, and gets them to agree you know, a few weeks before the inauguration when he's gonna be one of the most powerful people in the US government and agrees to make this huge investment in 666 Fifth Avenue, a building which no one else would touch before. Not only did they agree to invest, but it was a gigantic boon to the Kushners. It would have put like $400 million of cash in their pockets. It would have given them far more ownership in the in the new building than they their equity would have deserved. They, it would have been in the end about $2 billion um, of it was such a sweet deal, but about a $2 billion favor for the Kushners. Um, They also met with the Qataris, uh, with a a guy who used to be the head of the Qataris government fund and was the foreign minister of Qatar, and they got him to agree to put in $400 million. So, you know, they were so desperate, they were doing deals, uh, trying to do deals uh, with, you know, people that would obviously would have posed a conflict. Um, Fortunately, when we wrote about those deals, they fell apart. You know, we wrote about the Angbang deal and – Charlie Kushner had to fly to China to try to save it, but there was so much, um, you know, so much public outcry about how, how bad it was that they had to drop the deal.
1: Why is Cutter, Cutter is saying now that they were unwitting in, but unwittingly had bailed out um, 666, that essentially through their West, a huge investor in Westfield properties, which are... Um, the people, excuse me, Brookfield Asset Management, I apologize, for um, who, who, who were the actual company that bailed out, 666. So how is it that Cutter, which has been, as you, as you mentioned, bailing out the customers for a while, suddenly now claiming they were unaware of this major investment in 666?
2: You know, that is a great mystery. There's one story that came out a few weeks ago by an unnamed source in Cutter who, who supposedly said they were shocked shocked that their money was bailing out the Kushners. Um, but if you look at the history and the timeline of what happened, um, that doesn't make sense. And, and no one has been, even in Qatar, has been willing to say that on the record. Um, you know, By March 17, with the clock ticking on the Kushners, it's now less than a year till that big mortgage is due, Charlie Kushner meets with the foreign minister of Qatar in Washington. Um, Charlie says, oh, uh, he invited me. We didn't talk about investments. I couldn't have done it anyway. Um, by May, uh, Brookfield, um, uh, by May, you know, there's talk of there being a blockade against Qatar, um, where uh, the U.S. is backing some uh, Gulf states who wanted to to cut off Qatar financially, which was a very crippling financial thing to do to them. Um, lo and behold, by May, Brookfield Properties, uh, which, which is owned 25%, the biggest shareholder in that company, Uh, and 25 percent of the money is the qatari government starts to invest with the kushners um you know no one has ever has ever gotten to the root of it i think that that's one of the big investigations that we're going to see play out in the next uh over the next year um you know the congress now that democrats are there are subpoenaing records and i think that over time you're gonna we're gonna see what happened there um in most real estate deals if you're a 25% majority partner, you're going to be involved in those big decisions. And, and anyone you talk to in real estate say it would be unthinkable for them to not know it. Um, we will find out in time.
1: And, and what explain this to me, too, because Qatar and Saudi Arabia have had a massive diplomatic crisis for the last couple of years. Essentially, they're fighting over hegemony in the Gulf. Um, and what makes no sense to me is that Qatar has been incredibly uh, financially supportive of the Kushner family. Why is it that Jared Kushner has developed this very close relationship? What is it that the Saudis are providing to him that makes him so close to a man who has been accused very credibly of murdering um, an American resident and of causing massive, massive havoc across the Middle East?
2: Well, if you look at the record of what has happened there, the discussions and some of the actions, it seems like there's a mix of policy and financial um, interests that merge. Um, the policy is that you know Jared, uh, his number one uh, task, according to President Trump, is to try to bring peace to the Middle East. And um, one of his ways of doing that is to use Saudi Arabia um, and Jordan and um, as a counterbalance to Iran. And because uh, so many people in the administration are very uh, concerned about Iran, they they uh, walked away from the Iran nuclear deal that Saudi Arabia has played that uh, very much to its own advantage and and both as a counterbalance to Iran and as uh, a part of the more complicated plan he has to um, try to mitigate the israeli-palestinian issue, the Saudis would play a key part of that so so that's the policy piece and that's why Jared thinks that whatever you know whatever eggs have to get broken to make this omelette it's worth it. But there's also financial interest. And, you know, uh, in 2017, Jared secretly went over uh, to, we call this Jared's secret sleepaway, where he went to Riyadh in uh, Saudi Arabia and for four days was there with Mohammed bin Salman. Um, He was there. He came right at the end of a week where the Saudis' sovereign wealth fund, which is the Saudi $100 billion fund of Saudi money that the government was going to invest. There was a a convention where all these would-be investors go there and are trying to pitch them to get the Saudis to give them money. Um, So for four days, here's this convention. Uh, Tom Barrick, who is a Trump advisor, who has helped the Kushners with business before, is there. Uh, Joshua Kushner, who is Jared's brother and a co-owner of this company called Cadre, he was there. Um, And lo and behold, we we did a story uh, about five months later that um, Cadre, a company where Jared is still an owner and his brother Josh, uh, was about to get a $100 million investment from SoftBank, which is a Japanese bank which has 20% of its money comes from the Saudi government. So uh, when we wrote about that, the SoftBank walked away from that as well. Um, but it's clear that there are, their interests have aligned in both financial ways and policy ways. Do
1: you think he's being um, influenced because of his relationship and a relationship that goes back to his father with with the Netanyahu government, in terms of aligning himself with uh, with the Saudis right now to the detriment of Iraq Iran.
2: You know, um, the Kushner family goes way back with Netanyahu. There's a, there's a story that when um, Charlie Kushner was uh, was so close with Netanyahu that one time he stayed in the Kushner's family home uh, in New Jersey. And he actually slept in Jared's bed and Jared, you know, slept somewhere else. But he was a guest in the house and he stayed in Jared's room while Jared slept somewhere else. Um, So it is an incredibly tight relationship. Um, You know, it is no secret that the the Kushners that, uh, you know, both Jared and his father and his family have been very supportive of Israel. His father gives a lot to Israeli causes, has invested or has given money to some charities that are building homes on the West Bank, which is a, a very politically charged thing, because uh, that makes it harder to, uh, you know, have some sort of land for peace uh, initiative with the Palestinians. Um, so there's a very close relationship there. Um, I've not talked to Jared about it. He, he claims that he's looking out for everyone's best interest. But I, I do I know that in a lot of discussions there are, there are those, uh, you know, on the Palestinian side who believe that there's not he's he's not open-minded and and so um i think that the saudi involvement in in that plan certainly is one of the things that makes him want to do business with mbs
0: if you could ask jared two questions right now about his relationship with him what what would they be
2: Uh, i mean i would ask him two questions one would be how is it that you think people should view you as a neutral Actor in government, uh, when you have business interests that that uh, overlap with all the areas you're dealing with, and and why is it that you didn't take the steps that people have taken for generations to separate that? Um, and the second is uh, how. Why is it that you are willing to look the other way um, for the Saudi government and MBS's? Um, uh, the evidence, that looks like they were involved in the murder of Khashoggi, the Washington Post journalist. Um, other countries, other people in government, other business leaders have looked at the evidence that uh, the U.S. and the Turkish intelligence have said makes clear that he was involved in it. Yet Jared and a few others have explained, tried to explain it away. Uh, how is it that you can do that? Can I get a third question? Of course. Okay. My my third question would be, you know, the Kushner family has a fascinating history. His, um, his parents, his grandparents were not just Holocaust survivors; they were heroes of the Holocaust. They helped uh, people in Belarus escape uh, the Nazis. Uh, they dug tunnels, and about eighty five people uh, managed to escape the Nazis. And you know, they were the leaders of this of this escape. And uh, there's um, Holocaust museums in. Russia, where the you know the Kushner's family is honored for that, um, his grandparents then came to this country, started building, and you know Jared has been in uh, an administration that has not spoken out against am anti-Semitism here most uh, markedly after the Charlottesville um, demonstrations, at which point um, while there while there was uh, torches and KKK members who were who were being racist, they were also threatening. Jews there. And there was a synagogue where people were worshiping on a Saturday and uh, they had to sneak out the back door because people with guns were outside and, and chanting, you know, anti-Semitic chants. Um, given his family's history, um, how, and that was, you know, how can he be, uh, why is it that he didn't speak out when, uh, after those demonstrations, the president said there are very fine people on both sides.
0: But to your reporting, you deal with so much information in such in-depth stories. How do you, in your work ethic, not get overwhelmed and kind of follow all of these? Because in so many of your stories, you just lay it out so well. But you're dealing with so much information and so many tax numbers and in detailed things. How do you, your process, not go crazy?
2: You know, I've spent years writing about complicated business uh, dealings. You know, I did Apple's taxes and GE's taxes and Goldman Sachs when they found a way to rig the aluminum market. So I'm used to doing big complicated cases, but this is something all its own. And you know, people ask what's it like? And I think the best way to describe it is, you know, the game we all like to play where we get the puppy to chase after the laser pointer? <laughs> this is this is like being a puppy like in a laser tag arcade because there's hundreds of things where it's all chasing it and you get what you can and then you run over there and there's ten more over here. Um, so I do think you know, when this story started, those of us who cover it, it you know, it starts as a sprint and then you realize, whoa, it's gonna be a marathon, but each one is its own little thing. So you try to run it like a relay race and you you know, I'm lucky that at Bloomberg, we have a big team of a lot of good people. So, you know, I'll try to run on this one as long as I can. And when I need to collapse, someone else will, they'll hand the baton to someone else. And we have three or four different teams going like that. But it's, it is unlike anything that I've ever seen.
1: Why do you think Ivanka was not one of the people that was targeted by the by the original Nadler document request?
2: I'm sorry, by the original
1: Nadler document request. You had, you had talked about that Nadler uh, Gerald Nadler had had sent out requests for documents for for a variety of people, including Jared Kushner, uh, but not Ivanka Trump. Why do you think that is?
2: Right, I know the the I mean that was one. There were two omissions that jumped out to me. One was Ivanka, and one was Kellyanne Conway. Right? Why? Why would she not be asked questions But she was in the middle of a lot of this and was a very top advisor and privy to a lot of conversations? Um, You know, uh, we all try to play criminologist and say things. I think Nadler afterward said that they aren't finished sending things out yet, so maybe there are more. Um, You know, there are speculation all over the place that maybe, you know, when people aren't named that they could be cooperating. Um, But Nadler seemed to try to throw a little bit of cold water on that by saying they still have more things to send out, but there were so many they wanted to get the first batch out, you know, Excellent. when they could.
1: All right. We're going to let you go. Thank you so, Great. so much for joining us. Good luck on okay. the story. If the Mueller report drops, we can't wait to read all about it. Thanks. Thanks yeah. so much. Thank you. Bye.